Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week, we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. The second reading is Hebrews chapter 11, 1 to 20 verses. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commanded as righteous. When God spoke well of his offsprings, and by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Anak was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commanded as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham was called to go to the place, a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because he considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. 
all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had a opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he had prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and the only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. This, was, this is the word of Bible. Thanks be to God. Friends, it's a pleasure to be with you this Sunday morning, and uh, especially with the congregation with whom we share real estate, happily indeed. And so um, thank you for the invitation to be here, and thank you for your partnership in, in the work of the gospel uh, on the campus of the University of British Columbia. Friends, could we pray together? Loving God, give us now that most excellent gift of your Holy Spirit, that in your light we might see light, and in your truth find freedom. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. A heart specialist called Dr. Michael Fitzpatrick tries to find the common high-risk factor for heart disease. He wants to discover it so we can avoid it. And he writes this. He says, the Japanese eat very little fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than the British or Americans. The French eat a lot of fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than the British or Americans. The Japanese drink very little red wine and suffer fewer heart attacks than the British or Americans. The Italians drink excessive amounts of red wine and also suffer from fewer heart, heart attacks than the British or Americans. The conclusion of his study was this, eat and drink what you like, what kills you is speaking English. <laughs> uh, friends, sometimes it's difficult to find the correct common denominator in a random list of things to take just the right lesson from the raw data. Uh, look at our text for this morning. Abel makes a grade A offering. Enoch walks into heaven. Noah builds a really big boat. Abraham leaves everything behind and strikes out for a place he's never seen. He and his wife, Sarah, get their pension and their child tax credit checks in the same year. A large group of slaves exits Egypt by walking through the Red Sea. A prostitute helps spies and gets spared. Israel walks around a town for seven days and it falls over. Uh, what's the thread here? What do these events and people have in common? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us what they did, they did by faith. The thing they all have in common is what they did. They did by faith. Uh, today, we walk through the hall of faith, and what 
do we see the saints of all blessing and building and conceiving and staying and saying and sacrificing. The common denominator amongst God's approved people through the ages and one that cries out for imitation in our time is this. They lived, they worked, they acted, and they spoke by faith. By faith, Abel offered. By faith, Enoch was taken up. By faith, Noah constructed an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed and stayed and looked forward. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive. By faith, the people crossed through. The walls fell down. Lions' mouths were stopped. It's all by faith. Well, there's no doubt about the common denominator in our lesson. They live by faith in God, and it worked. So live by faith is the message. But you have to ask yourself, what, why imitate them? If you looked at the list carefully, there's probably some reasons not to, frankly. I mean, read through this chapter. People did all sorts of risky things and weird things by faith. Sarah had a baby at 90 years old. Whenever that comes up in a Bible study that I lead, women over 50 groan, <laughs> read from a certain safe perspective, faith and the risky ventures it pushes on us should be like avoided. It's perfectly possible, isn't it, to get through life without taking any of these chances on purpose. I mean, like the uh, common factors for heart disease, maybe faith in God and the actions it promotes are best avoided. After all, I mean, you could build a house without faith. You could have an entire career without faith. You could finish graduate school without faith, get married without faith, have a family without faith. You could be a good citizen without faith. You can plan and organize and do commerce and retire without faith in God. Life is possible without the hazards that faith promotes. So why take chances? The preacher Tom Long says, why swing out on the vine of trust in God? An apt metaphor. Aren't we, after all, in this part of the world, schooled against, insured against, invested against? We organize ourselves against big risks and blind ventures. I am aware that whenever I ask Presbyterians to take chances, I'm speaking to people whose ancestors invented insurance. <laughs> My suspicion is that uh, we sometimes go through the motions to get the job done. Our routines in life can be so well established that you can go on autopilot for weeks and really not notice. It's a very slow process. It's almost imperceptible even to ourselves. It's an odd, almost embarrassing thing to talk about, but we can be bored in the midst of success because it is possible to have success without significance, and it's deadly. Uh, the football coach, Bo Bronson, I actually read this on a Starbucks cup, and it stuck with me. He said, uh, failure is hard, but success is more dangerous. If you're successful at the wrong thing, the mix of praise and money and opportunity can lock you in forever. Wow. I mean, eternally, externally, everything looks good. Nice teeth, great hair, full schedule. Uh, exchanging that modern liturgical greeting, how are you? And the refrain is, I'm so busy. And yet, uh, underneath it all, there's a kind of low-grade apathy at work when we're honest with ourselves. Sometimes we think, I, I don't know what my opinion is. I don't really have a big emotional attachment to people around me. I'm not fully engaged in a way that's hard to explain. I don't feel much. 
what's happening is that we're not living by faith in God, but likely by the cold calculations of actuaries, doing what someone else told us was important. We've been co-opted into the myths of cultural success, and frankly, we yawn. An American sociologist named Tony Campola tells the story of teaching his first year sociology class, group of 19, 20-year-old students, and he, and he asked them in the first class, uh, can you tell me how long you've been alive? Student raises their hand and says, uh, I don't know, 19 years, right? Campola says, I, I don't mean how long have you been upright and breathing. I, I mean, how long have you been alive? How long have you been alert to the world and your place in it? How long has getting up in the morning meant a new adventure and significance? How long have you reveled in walking and looking and breathing, felt at home in your skin, believed your time in the world mattered? Another student says, 15 minutes. <laughs> Hebrews has this wonderful precarious line for us today. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Don't we need that today? A, a vision that isn't here yet of a peaceful world that we're longing for, hoping for, asking God to bring. And the example given in the text is Abraham and Sarah, who lived out their lives with only a promise. Things were fine with them, but God says, uh, risk it all, leave it all behind and go to a, a new place that I'm calling you to. Where? God only says, I I'll show you. They're old. They're leaving the safety and security of their familiar world to venture out. And they put their nest egg on the line, cancel the cruise, cash out their RSPs and go. My goodness, it's a risk, but they leave it. Faith can be like that. I think people here this morning know more about this than the rest of us might be aware of. When I ask most people to tell me the story of your life, tell me your faith story, most of the time they, they relate one or two events in their lives where they made choices or were things they wouldn't have chosen on their own, kind of get forced all them, on them, and it points in a whole new direction for their life. And and I've noticed the tone of their voice is not resigned, but animated. Acts of faith are a step forward into an unknown future. In those moments of stepping out, we come alive. The assembly of God's people comes alive. In moments of trust in what God has promised, we're connected, sometimes tingling, sometimes like animated. It's impossible to stand back at those moments and, and look at the whole picture dispassionately, say, one would think that. Some do that, I've noticed, and they call that being realistic, right? Like putting God to one side as we contemplate the future is realistic. Like that's agnosticism. As we contemplate the future today, my goodness, we need God. We, what needs to be done for beauty and peace outstrips our best efforts. We need the world where justice and peace embrace. We, we need a world where wolves and lions lie down together and that's a world only God can bring. Faith trusts God for that, even as it moves to work and witness and point toward it today. I want to remind you that most of the people who are drafted into the adventure of faith in the Bible aren't any more religious than like us, right? Abraham and Sarah, ordinary old people, Joseph and Mary, the kind of people you, you don't usually hear anything about. Moses and David and Ruth and Rahab, the prostitute. 
I mean, come on, in every case, there's nothing about these stories to suggest that uh, they were more pious or prayed harder or were on spiritual steroids or had some unique divine connection that we don't have. The Bible seems to go out of the way to suggest the opposite. They're just trying to get on with their lives like the rest of us. When suddenly, in a quite unanticipated way, they're called to declare themselves, to make a decision, to open a door to the future, to risk, to go all in. And they do it. Sometimes all at once, sometimes a bit at a time. Often they argue with God, but, but they do it. And suddenly life is kind of interesting, challenging, purposeful, meaningful. Doesn't all go well for them, but it's interesting. They get caught up in God's mission rather than just their own ambition. I suppose the other even more important reason our forebearers live by faith is found right in the text. It's verse six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Whoever comes to God must believe that God exists and that God rewards those who, as was read this morning, earnestly seek him. See, a lot of things are possible in life without faith, but you can't please God without it. The book of Hebrews takes it for granted. The people of God want to please God. Gratitude to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ takes the form of living by faith. The question of credibility for people who know the love and constancy of God, uh, what God has done for the world in Jesus of Nazareth, we, we, we want to please God. We set out to please God. Sure, there's failures, but the direction is consistent. Surprising what our text doesn't say. It doesn't say without a committee meeting or without good looks and good taste and a proper demographic study, we can't please God. Uh, these are factors without which we can't please and impress and motivate each other. Our text is pretty insistent here that it's faith, trust in the reliability of God for what isn't here yet. Without that trust, we can't please God. You see, I, I think faith is the assurance that just as God has been with us in the past, so God goes before us into the future. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament scholar, who I'm sure you've heard before because I know who's there. He says, faith is the willingness to trust our lives and our future to God, even when God does not appear to be as reliable as other more immediate supports. He says, faith is readiness to risk life and the promises of God without holding back. Friends, we live under the promises of the risen Christ who said, I, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I mean, what demographer takes that into account when reporting probabilities for the future of the church? On Christ's promises, not dire forecasts about church attendance, that, that's where we make our bets. We believe that he is, and so we shall be. I, I take some delight, may, maybe it's a kind of snarky delight, but it's uh, wonderful to defy the odds of one-dimensional atheistic forecasts about the future of the church and our world. For where such defiance is by faith, it pleases God. Uh, we believe that God has made us for communion with each other. We believe that God will bring peace to our world. We pray every Sunday, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we do it in faith that God will answer our prayers. 
Karl Barth says on that passage from the Lord's Prayer, to clasp one hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. So what does faith mean for you and for your fellowship in these days? Well, one thing's for sure, and here's a really simple point from this passage. Faith in our time does not mean repeating what others did before us. It is not our work as God's people to shellac and preserve and put into display cabinets the work that others have done. Did you notice from this reading in Hebrews, all the people in the chapter live by faith and no two people do the same thing. Everybody lived by faith, believed God, but they each had their own work to do. Sometimes we get that backwards. Instead of having faith, we repeat what other people did, right? Moses did not build an ark, right? Uh, Noah and his wife did not have a son in their old age. Please note, being faithful to God does not mean repeating what those who went before us did. I, I think we betray our forebears in the faith if we simply repeat on autopilot. What we want to imitate is their faith, not carbon copy their actions. What was faithful action in another time is almost certainly not faithful action in our own. Times change. And so God's people are called to new sorts of actions and reactions made in faith and trust in God. Cardinal Newman once said this, he said, tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. <laughs> Friends, God has work for us to do in this time and place. And by faith, we're all called to venture out and do great things, small things, unseen things, God-pleasing things. I, I don't know what that is for you. What has God up to now in our world in this time, here and now? I think that's a matter of prayerful, faithful discernment and then faithful community discipleship in and for the world that God loves. Well, for some people, it will mean being summoned out from behind the safety of your desk to follow God's leading into some new work. Or I think in other cases, even more profoundly, to go back to the work you do, except for now, do it in and by faith. Friends, my hope is that by the grace of the Holy Spirit, it may be said of all of us in the years to come that, that whatever we did in our time and place, we did it by faith. Amen. Amen.